Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Judges, chapter 4, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. So far, we have met three judges in chapter 3. Judges chapter 4. Now here's an interesting picture for you. The first judge that we met here in Judges chapter 3 was Othniel. You remember that? And the Bible says concerning Othniel that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You remember that? And then the second judge that we met, the last time we were together, we met Ehud. E-H-U-D. He was the second judge, and the Bible says that he had a sword in his hand, remember? And he was a left-handed judge. He was a, a southpaw, and remember? And he took his sword, and he stuck it in the fattest man in the Bible. If you weren't here for that study, I'm not making this up. This is true stuff, okay? Read it in your own time. But he stuck the sword, and the Bible says that the sword was stuck in this really, really fat man, and it, it, his fat covered the sword. It's true. I, I mean, I can, can you picture this? Is this like a trip? You know, it, it like, he sticks his, it's like, isn't that gross? It's just, I mean, it's gross, but it's in the Bible, it's gross. I mean, maybe his whole hand went in or something. Maybe his whole body, he got sucked in there! I don't know. It's gross, but it's in the Bible. That's what happened. He took a sword, you know. So the first judge was the spirit of the Lord came upon him. The second judge, he had this sword in his hand. And then the third judge was named Shamgar. Remember him? In verse 31 of chapter 3, he had an ox goad in his hand, which was an instrument of service. It was the ox goad that Shamgar served the Lord. He served God and he killed 600 Philistines. So in chapter three, what do we see? We see the spirit of the Lord, the sword of the Lord and service to the Lord. You see that the spirit, the sword, which represents in the Bible, the word of God and service to. To the Lord, the spirit, the sword and service all used to set God's people free. Why do you bring that up, Rodney? Because it same applies to us. The spirit, the sword and service are all used in our lives as Christians to set us free. The spirit of God comes upon us and the sword of the Lord, the word of God is written in us. On our hearts and service to God, we serve the Lord and apply our hands to the kingdom of God. And all of these things set us free likewise. Now, here in chapter four, 
I'm studying this today. I, I, I couldn't help but kind of read this chapter like a screenplay or a biblical drama, if you will, with a cast of colorful characters. What do we have? We have two women. One is wise and she's a faithful leader. And the other is a fearless avenger. We have a tyrant, King Jabin, here in chapter 4, king of Canaan, who oppressed God's people for 20 years after the death of Ehud. And then there's Jabin's enforcer, General Sisera, who led the army. And then Deborah, she enters center stage, Israel's only female judge. And then stage left, here comes Barak. He's a milquetoast leader from the tribe of Naphtali who became an ally with Deborah. And then we have a guy named Heber, H-E-B-E-R, Heber, who was a Bedouin and friends with Jabin. And Heber and his wife, Jael, or J-L is her name, J-A-E-L, these guys, husband and wife team, they don't see eye to eye politically. We'll see that. And of course, What kind of drama would it be without the main character, Yahweh, a.k.a. Jehovah? He's a star of the show, and he plays the part of the one, the true, the only God. Chapter 4, look at uh, Judges, Judges chapter 4. I'm turning there myself. Judges chapter 4. Look at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now notice here. When Ehud was dead... The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember this roller coaster cycle of sin? So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Hashereth Hagoim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And for 20 years, he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. You remember King Eglon, as I said. He was the guy who was the very fat king who oppressed God's people. God raised up a deliverer, Ehud. Ehud, you know, if you were here last time, he killed King Eglon. So now here in chapter 4, Ehud is dead And the cycle continues. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord allows them to go into slavery for 20 years. And they are oppressed by Jabin or Yabin in Hebrew of Hazor. And the king's commander, his name is Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoim, which literally means that word goim might sound familiar to you. That word goim, is, it actually means Gentiles. It means Gentiles. So Harosheth Hagoim means woodland of the Gentiles. And then notice in verse 3, it, the, the people cried out to the Lord because Sisera's army had 900 Chariots. Now remember, in those days we talked about it. Chariots, iron chariots were an incredibly formidable weapon. The Israeli army at this time, they were not like the lean green fighting machine. They didn't, they didn't have any military skills. 
I mean, they had some weapons that they made, but they didn't have like chariots, iron chariots. So naturally, if you will, for for Jabin's army, for Sisera's army to have 900 iron chariots, this is pretty intimidating to the people of God. You would think that it would be. But it is interesting, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, God told them, you see, again, God is God, and God knows the end from the beginning. God knew that the armies of Israel were going to have chariots. And so before it ever happened, God told them in Deuteronomy 21, God told them, don't fear the chariots. When you go out to battle against the enemies in Deuteronomy and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. So even though God had already told them that the enemy would have their chariots, It wasn't to be an issue for them. They weren't to be filled with fear. Why? Because they were to be filled with faith. You see, they weren't to look at the enemy's chariots and start counting the chariots. They were to begin to count on God. But they weren't. They were counting the chariots. They didn't put their confidence in God. Why? Because they were in a backslidden condition. Remember, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were in a backslidden condition. They were not right with God. And let's just face it. You will lack confidence in God when your heart is not right with God. Isn't that true? I mean, when your heart's not right with God, it's a fearful thing. You feel fearful. You think, man, it's, it's, if, if I were to die today, what's going to happen to me? You, you feel that way. You lack confidence in God when you are in a backslidden condition. And the people, they lack confidence in God in his ability to do what he said he would do. Man, what are you going through tonight? What's going on in your life tonight? Jesus says to you, don't fear. Don't start counting the chariots. You know, some people are chariot counters. It's true. They start counting the chariots. They see a little problem. They start, oh, man, look at all those chariots. You know, oh, you know, how you doing? Well, I don't know. Well, I've got all these problems. Well, I've got all these situations. Well, and then they start counting chariots. People who count chariots, they're a bummer to be around. Isn't it true? They're, They're a bummer, man. It's like, you know, it's not as bad as you think. You know, put your confidence in God. Trust the Lord. Put your faith in God. Whatever your situation is, put your faith in God. Don't count chariots. Count on the Lord. Whatever you're going through. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. You see, fear and faith don't mix. Fact. Amen, saints? Fear and faith do not mix. God said, don't count chariots. Saints, 
What are you going through tonight? Don't look at your situation. Don't be a chariot counter. Look at God. How big is your God? You know, your problem tends to really magnify if your God is really small. You know, your problem is huge, man. But now if your God is really huge, then your problem is really small. How big is your God? I guess that's what the question is. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 20, verse 7, write that down, go look it up in your own time. It says, trust, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of our God. I like that. Some people trust in chariots. They're chariot counters. Some trust in horses. They're horse counters. But we, Christian folks, believers, we trust in the name of our God. How many times have I had to trust in the name of my God? When everything looked terrible and situations looked bleak and it was awful. I wasn't counting chariots. I'm counting on the Lord. Amen, saints. And that's what you got to do. If you're going to live this Christian life, you got to trust the Lord. And so the people were being oppressed by these guys for 20 years and they cried out to God and God sends in a woman, to get the job done. Look at verse 4. Now, Deborah, Deborah, the queen bee. And and Deborah was judging Israel at this time in verse 4. And she was sitting under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now notice that. Now now notice this here. The children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Deborah, Deborah, I want to camp out in verse 4 and 5 just for a few minutes. Keep in mind, now you got to keep this in mind. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. At this time in history, there wasn't a brave man. There wasn't a man brave enough or available enough to stand up and judge Israel. So God doesn't wait around for brave men to step up. He can use anyone. Man, woman, boy, girl, God can even use animals. He has been known to do it. And in this case, he used the queen bee, Deborah. Deborah, why do you call her the queen bee, Rodney? Because that's what her name means. Her name means bee, like in the little bee that stings people. Bee, that's what her name means, bee. And she is like a bee in many ways. Deborah, beautiful woman of God, wonderful lady. She is a very industrious woman, very industrious, just like bees. Bees are very industrious. Did you know that? I discovered, matter of fact, in doing this study, get this, that bees flap their little bee wings 190 times per second. Is that amazing? That kind of blew my mind. Facts that maybe you don't care about, but I mean, it just kind of blew my mind. that they, they, they flap their wings 190 times per second. And on a hot day, bees use their wings to cool off or air condition their beehive. They are industrious. They are energetic enough to lower the temperature in their hive. We have the saying, she's as busy as a bee. We've heard that. 
Bees also have 3,000 sensor plates in their head. And these sensor plates can smell a flower up to five miles away. That's amazing. And man, our God is awesome, amen? Can you imagine? They can smell a flower up to five. We've got to get really close and go, man, that flower smells terrible, you know. But, but bees, man, they can smell a flower up to five miles away. Bees are also sweet because they make honey, right? But bees also sting. And Deborah could also sting because she mobilized the troops and she got the boys moving. She was a serious military type judge. It's like, be all you can be. I'm sorry. Now, the Bible tells us a lot about Deborah. You know, we've all heard that song, you know, I'm Every Woman with Whitney Houston. That song was actually done by Shaka Khan. I don't know if you know that or not. But Whitney or Shaka Khan were every woman. I think Deborah was every woman. I mean, she had her work cut out for her. She didn't just rule the people. She was a judge over the people. The Bible says she was a prophetess. I mean, that's not an easy job. She was a warrior. She was a poet. She was a songwriter. She was a counselor. And she was a mom. And we'll talk about that more in chapter 5. But just fast forward real quick. Look in chapter 5, verse 7. Look at chapter 5, verse 7. She was a mother. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. Deborah was a mom. Talk about multitasking. She knew how to multitask. She had to manage the home, deal with people and their problems, lead the country, bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never let Lapidoth forget he's a man. <laughs> I mean, this woman was something else. And God used her to lead and to judge the people, which raises the issue of women in leadership and leadership positions in the church. Now, before I make my comments here, let me just say, and I think it's important to remember this, the story of Deborah is not a forum for biblical equality. The story of Deborah is not a proof text for feminism in the Bible. I just happened upon a Christian show today and it was, you know, a women's conference and they were using Deborah and talking about how God is going to anoint the women in these last days and the women are going to go forward in the anointing of God as the anointing is coming upon them and in them. And they were going on and on just like the anointing of God came upon Deborah and going on and on and which inspired me to write this comment. The story of Deborah is not a proof text for feminism in the Bible. The story of Deborah isn't a theological treatise on the role of women in the church and in pastoral ministry. No, the story of Deborah is a story of a woman who used her gifts and dedicated her life for 40 years to serve God, country, and her people. That's what the story is about. Now, since we're here, let's just talk about it. Can we talk? 
women in leadership roles in pastoral ministry? Rodney, what do you think? What does the Bible say? It's an appropriate question. Well, I believe that the Bible teaches that a woman should not usurp authority over a man. This word authority, it's an interesting word. It means one who acts on his own authority. Now, now you've got to understand this here. A woman should not usurp authority over a man. The word authority means that you should, it means that, that of one who acts in his own authority. Autocratic is what the word means, or to exercise dominion over. I believe that the Bible teaches that a woman should not exercise authority over a man in the home or in church. Now, some time ago, we had Tammy Ritter, you know, Tammy Ritter, her and Clay are down in Wilmington, and she was our children's ministry director. I'll never forget this guy came up to me and said, hey, I mean, a woman shouldn't usurp authority over a man, and you've got a woman in leadership in, over children's ministry next door. What do you think about that, Rodney? I said, well, I think she's doing a fine job. He said, well, no, no, I mean, exercising leadership over men. I mean, there's, there's boys over there, and there's a handful of men, he said. And I said, well, quite honestly, I got to say that this word authority really speaks of being autocratic, meaning she has no covering. And I would disagree with that because I'm the pastor of the church, and thus she has covering. And so I don't really see a problem there. I don't she's not acting on her own. Actually, she's acting under the leadership of her pastoral covering as well as her husband. So I don't see that as autocratic. I don't see that as one who is acting on their own. So I'm uncomfortable quite honestly because of what the scriptures teach. I am uncomfortable with women being ordained as pastors. I think to me, now, some of you may argue, I realize it's not politically correct, but you guys know I often deal with things that are not politically correct. Saints, y'all should help me and say amen. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> All right. To me, I believe that it crosses the line of usurping authority and submission to husbands when women are ordained as pastors and when women senior pastor a church. I believe the scripture speaks against that. I won't go into it too much, but I think that women, according to the Bible, should not usurp authority over men. And that a woman should be submitted. This whole word of submission, I call it the S word. I like this word, quite honestly. All the women are like, hmm. Oh, you don't want none of this. <laughs> I used to, you guys know, I used to play around with my wife all the time. She'd be saying something, i go, you better submit, woman. And she's the, she always, I don't think I do it as much anymore, do I, honey? 
She goes, but well, she said, I, you better submit. You submit me. I'm the man. I'm the man. Yeah, I'm the man. I'm the man. You better submit to me. You better submit to me. And she goes, yeah, and that same Bible says, you better love me. <laughs> you better love me like Christ loved the church. <laughs> she got me. But this word submission, what does it mean? It means, if you're writing down, taking notes, it means to rank under. It means to rank under, and it has nothing to do with value and ability or inferiority and superiority. It has everything to do with priority and order. And even Jesus was under the headship and authority of his father, John 5, 19, without being inferior in any way. And I am appalled at what women are being taught and the, the message that's being communicated in our culture today, making women feel like, you know, you need to be, you know, a, a woman and stand up and have your rights and submit. What is that word? That means you're going to be a doormat. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. You know, I joke around with my wife about submit, honey. You better submit. But the reality is, is that the Bible says, Rodney, you love your wife even as Christ loved the church. And I've never met a woman personally. I've never met a woman who was being loved like Christ loved the church who was not willing to submit to a man who was loving her. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean I, you know, I, I've never met one. I've never met a woman who had a problem with the man loving her. And of course, when you're loving your wife, then she goes, yeah, honey, what, what you need? Can I get you some water? Get your slippers, sweetie. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's one 800 2930923 You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed until next time may you be salt and light Let me be a song